Hello and welcome to episode three of season five of Rusty Junk. Is it episode three already? It's episode three. You missed oh the first goodness. one. You missed the first one. Oh, so you probably think it's episode two, but it's episode, <laughs> it's episode three. Um, after Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Okay. Um, so yes, welcome. Welcome one and all. We are covering, uh, if you watch it on uh, YouTube, then you can see what I'm covering. If you're not, then it's the 1984 classic, sorry to preempt, classic, Beverly Hills Cop, starring Eddie Murphy, Judge Reinhold, Ronnie Cox, Stephen Burkoff, Jonathan Banks. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know. I'll put Jonathan Banks. I wrote Jonathan Banks down. He's very much a bit bit part, but it's fine. He's in it too. Enjoy the trailer. <laughs> Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop <laughs> on vacation in Beverly Hills. I just got off the phone with an Inspector Todd in Detroit. He says if you're out here investigating the Tandino murder, you needn't bother coming back. I don't want to take it anymore. For a man who claims to be on vacation, you look a lot like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, no. I'm picnicking. This is like a picnic area. I have to ask you some questions about Michael Tandino. I never been to a cell that had a phone in it. Can I stay for a while? Because I ordered some pizza. We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place, then jumped out the window. May I help you? Yeah. I'm looking for Victor Maitland. I have nothing to say to you. You just got your badges and your guns and you're on the job, right? Make sure we get the right drinks, because if I drink club soda, I'll throw up. You know, this is the cleanest and nicest police car I've ever been in in my life. This thing's nice in my apartment. I just bet you are the pride of your department in Detroit. It seems painfully obvious you haven't the slightest idea who you're dealing with. I don't know what y'all think I am, killing some kind of food. Hurry up, quicker! Crawl back to your little stone in Detroit before you get squashed. Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> when, when, if we were scoring trailers, that's got to be in the top three. That is, that is an '80s trailer giving you just enough to want to go and see the film. And you're probably going to say, "Oh, they put too much in the trailer." But it's I okay. I preferred. Oh God! What's the name of the film we just did? Not, not this one. Um, lethal Weapon. Yeah, I preferred the Lethal Weapon trailer. Oh right, okay. But this is, this is. I'm sat in a cinema. Um, I should have done the research to find out whether which came out first. I think it was Ghostbusters. I think, 
But whichever, whoever, whichever order it went in, if you went to Beverly Hills Cop and saw Ghostbusters, you go into Ghostbusters. If you went to see Ghostbusters, you go to see Beverly Hills Cop. Although they might have had, you can't have a PG-13 trailer or, because this was an R-rated movie, but we'll get to that. in Anyway. What um, are you talking about, babes? Well, no, because this was an R-rated film. This what does the, that mean? Uh, I don't. I don't compute an R. R-rated film is basically um, like our equivalent of a, a of a fifteen. Uh, under seventeens okay. are allowed to they're allowed to go in, but they must be, be accompanied by a guardian. And then you have NC seventeen, which means nobody under seventeen can go in. It's a bit like R eighteen. Ah, okay. So yeah, a bit like that. And this was the highest rated uh, R-rated movie, uh, but oh, until I'll let you know in trivia time. You've got to stay stay on. And uh, and you'll find out. So, can I can I just say why I'm excited? Because I am excited. I'm I'm sat watching Beverly Hills Cop with Amanda, and I'll, and there's nothing given away at the end. If this is the first time you're listening, welcome. Go and play the first episode, and you can see her level of knowledge, and you can see how she's blossomed into just slightly better knowledge that, that she has. <laughs> Over the four, four. No, what I'd say that's really rude, but I actually do agree. It's with about you. right. It's about right. <laughs> you just, you just remember the film we covered last, so you know it's fine. Look, but, I've got a head full of important stuff, not stuff this about is, this. I, 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 what? Um, anyway, so was that there watching it, and she's laughing away, and I hope that's going to be a good sign. I don't know until we get to the score, but at the end of it, we never tell each other what, what you know, what we thought. No, you know we we purposefully. I mean, I, I maybe there's been once turned around and go, ooh, and I think it might have been Prancer when we all looked at each other and went, "What the jiggins did we just watch?" I have no idea. Anyway, um, go back and listen to that. Oh no, don't listen. Listen to the podcast. Don't watch the film. Um, she turns around and says, "Drops a bombshell," which is what? What's the bombshell you said? I've never actually seen the movie properly this is, before. This is. And this to that, me, that's, that's two of other films that we've reviewed. No, 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 no. Right. I've seen the first, I saw I'll the first bit where he's in the trailer and right. like in the truck. Yeah. I'll give you, oh, do you know what? Well, I don't think I would. And certainly, Dom, regular listener to the show, would not give you that. I can't believe you haven't seen the Goonies. But this one is kind of like saying, yeah, I haven't seen Star Wars. And I've heard there's a film about a shark, but I've never seen it. it it's like, and do you know what? That's that's what's made me more. That's what's made me really excited for the podcast, because oh, okay. it's the the look on your face and the kind of like thing when you said that. I'm kind of like, this is like being back there watching it for the first time. So I might have built it up too much, and a two might be incoming. I don't know, but here we go. What did you think of the film? I thought it was very entertaining. Oh dear! I thought it it held. Um, sorry, my microphone's going in and out of view. Well, it does me add in anyway. Just ignore it, Amanda. Um, it was a good film, I think. Mm. Um, very well put together. Oh, if you're playing at home, that's the, I, you, I, you just crossed ten, eight, and ten, eight, I, and seven. I would watch it again. Uh, <clears throat> I crossed nine, eight, seven. Um, looking at my past scores. On on the Amanda scale of movie ratings, it's harsh. I was going to give it an eight, but I looked at what I'd given an eight to before. Right, but what? Okay, and felt that the other eight was a better eight 
So I've marked this as seven and a half. Jeez. Yeah, what was probably the eight? a bit harsh. What was the eight? I should remember. I can't remember now. You're going to ask me. Hang on. You you carry on talking. I'll find me eight. So Lethal Weapon, for me, was a seven and a half. And Whoa. it wasn't better than Lethal Weapon. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, everyone. Um, out, of maybe, the two, maybe... out of the two, I prefer Lethal Weapon. And if I was watching them and comparing them, Lethal Weapon would probably have been an eight. So I've probably undermarked that. Wow. Uh, at this point, I feel like I should like say the, the the popular command to most of the voice-activated devices people have in the house and say, can you call an ambulance? Because most of our audience have just fainted and, and might need some sort of medical assistance. Seven and a half. Ladies and gentlemen, Midnight you heard Midnight Run here. was an eight. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, uh, so, I might be surprising, and I'm going to get my knuckles wrapped by some of our regular listeners because they went, oh, don't do half marks. I've got to. In this particular case, I've got to do eight and a half. Okay. Uh, and the reason why is, oh, and I hate to sound like it. Well, it's it's just well, What was lethal weapon? What did you just call lethal weapon? A nine. A nine. So, yeah. so you see it's not better than lethal weapon in your well, opinion either. Do you know what? Actually, I give it a nine. I give it a oh. nine because the same justification is the same. Sorry, yeah, let's not do halves. It's a nine. <laughs> And the reason it's not a 10, I hate to say it, it's because Beverly Hills Cop 2 exists. Oh, is it a bad movie? I, 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 look, it just edges it. And again, oh, the people that might It's another Lethal Weapon 2 then, isn't it? It is. It's exactly the same thing that's happening Because we watched, uh, our listeners won't know, we, we actually watched Lethal Weapon 2, didn't we? The next day after recording. After and you, recording and you the podcast. That it's and I And I said... It's definitely a better film, but it can't. You have to have seen Lethal Weapon one. We're talking too much about Lethal Weapon. No, it's fine. You have to have seen the first film to really understand the context of the second film and yeah. the the relationship that they have together. Um, yes, and how that they can sort of you know bounce off each other and uh, just enjoy each other's company and have a uh, bit of a bit of a yeah. laugh. And he's welcomed into his family and, you know, well, it just yeah, feels you can a say the movie. Same, you can say the same about this film. Oh, okay. You know, I mean. Do it, we get, are we going to be doing the review of the second movies then? On, on Rusted Junk, do you think, or not? Let's, you're, you're going all the way to season season nine where we go sequels to films we've covered. Oh, wow. I mean, no. it could do. Really? It could do. Why not? Well, it's okay. great. Mark, mark the scores down, because I know you keep better, better record keeping than me. Mark oh, down, I gave it a nine, and you gave it an eight. And in Lethal Weapon, Lethal I Weapon. gave it a nine, and you gave it an eight. No, I, I gave Lethal Weapon seven and a half. Seven and a half. Right, but I okay. should give it an eight. So I'm going to re... I'm going oh, to there's so much a, retro stuff going on. It's just, yeah, wow. I, I'm, I'm retrospectively... Retrospectively. Right, while you're writing and doing the bookkeeping... Remarking um, Lethal Weapon as an eight. I'm going to have to say that this film is a bona fide classic. It's a bona fide, um, it, it's a, it's epic in the sense that, sorry, not epic. It's iconic. It's iconic of the 80s. It's everything. Look, even look at the poster behind me if you're watching on YouTube. The poster behind me is the 80s. It's, it's the feel, it's the cars, 
It's the excess. Just move, Beverly Hills. move over slightly. Right, that way. Are we sitting on a Merc? Yeah. A convertible Merc. Yeah, absolutely. Beverly and, Hills. And when you talk about when you talk about the classics, Beverly Hills Cop has to get a mention on there. But I know we're going to talk about, um, and I think we we'll probably do it after roll call because it's important. In fact, we'll do it at the start of roll call because I think it's important to understand 19, just how important 1984 is in films. In fact, let's not go to roll call. I know you've done a bit of research on this. So 1984. Well, no, but you still you still done it, and you still you still looked into it. If you if you get your time machine. Um, if anybody out there builds a time machine, can you take me with you, by the way? But if you are going to go back and you're only allowed to go back to one year, can you go back to 84? And Amanda's about to tell you the reasons why. I was 10. Right. Fire up the DeLorean. We're going 1984. Right. <laughs> tell us all about it. Right. So the films that you had in 1984 and uh, probably uh, promoted through cereal packets with freebies, you know, the gift that you got in your cereal box. Oh, I thought you were going to go Jaws 3. Oh, that's 1983. Sorry. No. <laughs> I think the first one, iconic, Ghostbusters. It is. I don't know anybody that didn't have anything Ghostbusters at school at the time. I don't know anyone that when you, even my mum, uh, if you went to them, who are you going to call, doesn't go back, say, Ghostbusters. Yeah. It's, now that transcends everything. It's the logo. It's the ghost yeah. with the no, yeah, yeah. Uh, no entry. Not yeah. no entry. Um, forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah. Go on. You might have to go through them a little. Okay. Karate Kid. Karate Kid, yeah. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Let's not do that again. Karate. 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 Gremlins. <laughs> See, Gremlins. I don't necessarily agree. I think I said on the last podcast, it's a seven out, six and a half, seven out of 10, something like that's fine. But I recognise it's iconic. Absolutely. What movie did we watch recently that had something similar with the little marshmallow men and they ended up in the blender? Oh, that was um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yes. Yes. Oh, no, that's good. Love that film. If you want to check out my view on Ghostbusters Afterlife, by the way, I do Moonlight under the podcast. So if you go and type in uh, Nerd Alert Podcast, WDWNT Nerd Alert Podcast. I know I did it. Oh my I, God, I usually have actually... trouble on the podcast. If you go and right. do, do that, when they talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife, I was invited on there. After <laughs> after that podcast, I might not be invited back. But Oh. Oh, no, because I loved Ghostbusters Afterlife, but they started talking about other things, like Book of Boba Fett, which is probably oh, the worst, you, worst yeah, things I've ever seen. Yeah, you're not really enjoying that, are you? Ever seen. Anyway. Yeah. Okay, so Gremlins. Yeah. Obviously, this film, Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. We've got 16 Candles. 16 Candles. Well, uh, yep, the, 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 the launch, not the launch of John Hughes, but the launch of the John Hughes team film. Yep. Yep. Uh, we got... Everybody for loose. Yeah, per- oh, perfect film. We only watched that what a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, with Amy. Yeah, she loved I think it. She, she really loved that, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. She liked, I, I Will- love that. She liked film. Willard. She liked she liked the same thing that I did without me having to prompt her. She liked Willard's story. She liked the guy that couldn't dance. Yeah. That Ren t- teaches to dance. Well, Wonderful. she's gonna like that, isn't she? As a oh, sort just... of young dancer herself. So yeah, yeah, oh, well, lovely I think dancer. That's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um. 
Uh, Police Academy, not <laughs> one of my favourites. <laughs> but, but yes, it's definitely a classic. And we will be covering it. I think um, there's something about that type of comedy that just just grates with me. It's like that. And what's the other one? Airplane, is it? And I'll say people, Naked yeah. Gun. Yeah. And, oh. Oh, we'll just... be doing Naked Gun, by the way. I mean, Dom has chosen he's going to do Naked Gun with me. So, yeah, don't well, worry. Thank you, you, Dom. You, like, you saved that. me there. I might even coax him to do Police Academy, but I don't know yet. Who knows? Okay. Um, Romancing the Stone. Oh. Yeah, you know, when you're in that list, it's kind of like, yeah, but it's still important. Spawned a great sequel, Jewel of the Nile. Yeah. One, one for the mum and dads, I would say, don't you think? Romancing the Stone? Mm. It's got everything. Well, mm. it's, it's Indiana Jones like. Michael Douglas is great in it. Yeah. And then you've got one of the best Indiana Jones ever Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, sorry, the worst. Really? Well, no, with the kingdom. If you look at it, one, two, and three. The Crystal Skull's the worst. The order is the order's one, three, and two. Oh, one, three, two, four. Yeah, anyway. okay, it's number three. Right. Uh, and then you've got uh, the Terminator. Oh, look, look at that. Come, come back. Come, look, join me in the DeLorean. Let's just go and spend, let's go and watch all these films. Yeah, that fit. Can you can you imagine going and watch watching something like I mean I was there I was watching a lot of these films bar a couple live and with an audience and they were great I love the audience there weren't US audiences where they all cheered and, and did all of this but they really appreciated the films and things I've been back to some of my favorite films especially something like I, I know this can sound weird I went to Jaws two and they they video they they put the audio of the audience reaction for seeing it for the first time. And my goodness, those kids, those kids were scared witless by it. And but but it, you can go and do the same for Endgame when Captain America. You know, I'm not going to say, but that Cap- iconic Captain America scene at the end. You go and look at that, and suddenly you feel part of the audience, and you feel part of it. And that uh, that would annoy me. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't think like that. I don't like things like that. I like my cinema quiet. She's not coming um, into the DeLorean with us. Um, and I hate people eating in the cinema and rustling. Do you know what? We haven't even got to roll call. I know. Yeah, let's go. Can we keep anyway, going? Tell uh, me the last record. one then. Uh, top secret. Oh, I bona fide, 100% classic. What phony dog poo. What phony dog poo. Do you know any good white basketball players? Yep. Oh, yes. We All the classics are in there. Um, <laughs> there you go. 1984. Classic year. Uh, yeah. Let's go. And we might we might make this a bit more of a feature. I mean, obviously, if we do one of those films, we're not going to go, and these were big in 1984. Yeah, we go, oh, we great. Cheers. That. Thanks for that. Yeah. yeah, but we might do. I don't know what the next... Did we decide what the next film is? I think no, we did, didn't yet. we? No? Okay. Right. Anyway, let's move on. It's Roll Call. This, I would like to say oh. this actually was my choice as well. Well, well, a great choice. It was always on the cards, and why wouldn't it be? It's just... I was just waiting to watch it again. To be honest, so look at what looking forward to it. Kick in roll call. Here we go. It's time for roll call. Roll call. So it's a bit packed, but we'll try and get through it. But Come there's on, a reason. Man. There's a re- there's good reasons for it. Um, little does she know. Oh no. I want three Eddie Murphy films, and you can't have the sequels to this. Or this. Oh, the Golden Child. Yes. What well, that's. That's the first one that comes up in your head. Well, it's because I went to see it at the movie and thought it was Brilliant. rubbish. Brilliant. No, 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 that's great. Thought that it was counts. rubbish. Yeah. Um, thought it was rubbish. Yeah. That was great. Oh, okay. Was... Okay. Charles Dance. 
Um, well, okay, okay, we got to one. Well, let's start with the, let's start with Eddie Eddie Murphy's uh, two. Although there are three major major warm up films, we first see him in Forty Eight Hours, then we see him in Trading Places. Um, he then stars, weirdly enough, and go and look at the poster for this. Best Defense with starring Dudley Moore, where yeah. he's 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 actually put he's basically Dudley Moore is an analyst and Eddie Murphy is a tank driver driving this new tank that Dudley Moore has invented, and he's in the Middle East and it's all a bit crazy. But on the front it goes strategic special guest star Eddie Murphy and it's got him in a tank helmet going ah and you're like that's random strategic yeah well I always remember that then comes Beverly Hills Cop then comes Golden Child. Then comes Beverly Hills Cop 2, coming to America, another 48 hours. This is where it slightly goes off the rails, but he has to put it back on. Dr. Doolittle. Mm. Then he makes Bowfinger with Steve Martin, which is wonderful. Don't forget the two iconic stand-ups. I was chatting with Joe about it uh, uh, this evening, just before we came on the podcast. Um, The two stand-ups that Eddie Murphy did, Delirious and Raw, which are still stand-up today. Are just incredible tour de force. I don't think I've seen those. Oh, sweetheart, we've got to see that. We've got to see them. They're just brilliant. Um, he was uh, then in order. He was in the Michael Jackson video for "Remember the Time," uh, which again I think we watched. We had it on YouTube the other day. Uh, then he came back as Donkey in Shrek. Um, uh, did films like I Spy, Norbit. Um, uh, he was in. Beverly Hills Cop, a 2003 short film, 45 minute. And I only found it just before we came on. So I'd probably, you know, if any readers know anything, readers, listeners, listeners and We're not not subtitled. Well, we should be probably. But anyway, there's a film, Beverly Hills Cop, in which he stars as Aaron Foley's dad. I'm going to YouTube the heck out of this when we finish this, because I just don't know anything about that. And do you want to know what's in production? Oh, sorry, we've got the sequel to Coming to America as well, but yeah, which he's just made, which we haven't watched yet. What else is in production? Under the Shrek? I don't Beverly know. Hills Cop 4. What? Yes, it's in oh. production. Who's starring what? in that then? He is, obviously. Well, he's surely getting his pension. Uh, Like what, like Bruce Willis? I mean, it didn't work out well for him. The fourth film, yeah. Okay, well, look. It's it's in production anyway. Um, mm. Rosewood, Judge Reinhold, Billy. Mm. Do you like him as a character? In the film, yeah, I thought it was quite funny. He's very straight laced, isn't he? But then he gets a little rebellious and thinks, "Do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for um, Axel and uh, just kind of you know go with the flow because he seems to be getting results and we haven't really Absolutely. done anything. Wait till you get to Beverly Hills Cop Two. <laughs> All I can say is you're in for a nice surprise. Oh, sweet. Um, uh, he plays Elmo in Stripes. He's in Stripes. Judge Reinhold. All comes back down to Stripes. Love Stripes. Fast Times at Richmond High with Sean Penn. Uh, he was in Gremlins. He was in Ruthless People. He was in Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3. <sighs> Let's not mention 3. Don't, we're just Please don't bring up 3. It's probably <laughs> the one, one, one of the worst films of the 80s. It really is. It's awful. Um, he was in, there was a time when um, cinema went through people making the same film, but like Armageddon and Deep Impact. 
there was a film called like father like son and he made one called vice versa it was a body swap the dad and the the dad and the son swap consciousness and they have to deal with it it's funny um next his partner um uh john ashton uh he of course is was in midnight run which we covered he played one of the he played the other bounty hunter uh to robert de niro and he yeah. also played Eric Stoltz's dad in some kind of wonderful, yay, mm-hmm. two films we've covered. Go, Eric Stoltz. No. Um, yeah, go. Lisa, oh, so harsh. <laughs> um, Jenny in this, Lisa Eelbacker, I believe. Um, she started in Midnight Caller. She started in our, one of our favourite podcasts, favourite films we ever watched on the podcast, Leviathan. <laughs> I think if you want to, if you really want to see, it's where rusted junk comes to, from. It is where rusted junk comes from, and unfortunately, my rose tinted spectacles. I wouldn't go back and change our title because I love our title, but I would go back and never mm. see Leviathan ever again. I would try and put that out. She didn't make anything after 1995. She just gave it up. Oh no, no nothing after. It's very, very, very short on that one. Then we get to the wonderful Ronnie Cox, the police chief. Um. He's brilliant. And he's going to be in the film. He's going to be in a, another film in season five, um, which will be Robocop. Uh, he's I very, very evil in Robocop. But let's also go back to some of the other things that he's in, because um, he's also in Taps. If you remember, in Taps, he's, hey. the, he's the chief that comes in to try and tell them all to stand down, um, that brings the parents in, in Taps. Uh, he's he's leading the military unit that are oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so we've got yeah. Ronnie Cox he's just he is wonderful he really is um Cohagen in Total Recall a very good very bad guy um one for the Marvel lot he was in uh the 1990 uh film Captain America don't go and watch it in fact go on YouTube YouTube the trailer and then and then say thank you for I, I expect thanks uh via YouTube uh comments facebook comments instagram comments saying thank you very much you've just saved one hour 46 minutes of my life so i don't have to watch the captain america film it's awful uh he played the president in murder at 1600 of wesley snipes um and he was also he had a silent role he was in deep blue sea played samuel jackson's boss who was funding the uh the facility where the sharks were he never said anything he just sat behind the desk didn't say anything Maybe he did, but they just cut it out. No, I, I looked it up. He didn't say anything. Oh. It's just he was just there. Uh, the bad guy in this, uh, Victor Maitland, Stephen Burkoff, a classically trained actor, Shakespeare, very off the wall, kind of like, you know, um, Pinter, all those types of types of things. But here he got his break starring as Orloff in Octopussy. He then makes this film <laughs> as the bad guy and then plays Podofsky, the uh, Russian commander in Afghanistan, in uh, uh, not in Afghanistan, um, Rovsky, uh the over uh, in Vietnam uh, in First Blood Two. Uh, so Stephen Burkhoff, I'm sure. I don't. I think I get the feeling that he doesn't like people asking him about this film because he didn't do much Hollywood after that. Mm-hmm. I think he just like retired um, from that. Uh, then we have some of the bit people. Jonathan Banks, who played the hitman. He takes out Mikey at the start. Where's he from? You told me. I didn't know. Yeah, he's from Breaking Bad. Yeah, um, see? Back all soul. 
Yeah, Better Call Saul. I looked, yeah, looked it up. He's also in Community. I've not watched that. Chevy Chase is in that as well. Maybe I should watch that at some point. He was one of the bad guys in Under Siege 2. Yay. And he's also in Crocodile, Crocodile Dundee 3. 3? AKA Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles. Oh, God. Oh, yes. The first two, I think, are great. The third one. Like this film. Don't go and watch it. Um, uh, uh, who have we got? Stephen Elliott. It's the chief, the chief chief yeah, um, that came in. He died in uh, 2005, age 86, but he wow. was in St. Elsewhere in Dallas. So you might recognize him because he was quite, he was quite big in St. Elsewhere, but also in Dallas. Um, just to finish the last one up, you've got um, Steve uh, Gilbert R. Hill. Uh, could we call him a scene stealer as Axel Foley's Detroit boss? The police chief, the police chief back in Detroit. Very sweary. What do you think? <laughs> I forgot. He was, very, he was very good. The police chief that where uh, the where the do, do you come off doing that? It gives him the license to go and save. Oh, sorry. Good yeah, Lord. in, in, in you, the we in did the watch this rooms. two days yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I had a bit of a blank there. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and he says he's um. Uh, the, the his his boss has chewed his ass chewed off. His off, and he says you've got a lovely ass. Don't F with me, Foley. <laughs> anyway, he made three films. Do you want to, you want to guess what they hey. are? Yeah. No, I don't know. Beverly Hills Cop 1, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Beverly Hills Cop 3. <laughs> That's it. Didn't make. Did, didn't even star in TV. I looked. Couldn't find anything. Is it nothing else? No. And then he went into politics and narrowly oh. missed out on becoming governor um, in the 2000s. Yep. Governor of where? Oh, I didn't write it down. You had oh. to pick it up, didn't you? Right, okay. I don't know. But anyway, Governor. Um let's have a let's have a nice uh, shout out to Serge Bronson Pinchot, <laughs> um, who took this character and then two years later uh made one of my favorite American TV series, uh um Perfect Strangers, where he played Balky, who had a similar sort of accent. And was out of place. Who kind of remember that? Yeah, I, I saw this film and uh, I thought, if I, I said him somewhere, if I said his his catchphrase was "Don't be ridiculous," that was Balky's catchphrase to everything. He said it every uh, single episode. They made, um, I think, I think it was 199 episodes. Good lord, it's a lot. I think, I think when I looked on there, but yeah, but he's. I think he's he's brilliant. Uh, two more to go. Damon Wayans. Is, is listed as Banana Man, not the uh, 80s superhero, but the guy that gives him the banana. Damon Wayans is massive now, right? I mean, you just, just you know, his career and the things that he's doing, The Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis, you know, fantastic. Um, but he's, he's, he's only 30 seconds, but yeah. we'll, get to, we'll get to that. And lastly, Paul Reiser. Paul Reiser, everybody. Burke from Aliens. The bad guy. Oh, the bad guy, everyone. It turns Is that good the guy at- out of Red Oaks? Yes. He's right. also in the Red Oaks. He was in the Paul Reiser show. He had his own thing. Um, he was also in, again, one of the sitcoms that I used to watch, My Two Dads, way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. It's a great... Please go and check that out on YouTube. It's a great show. Uh, he was in Red Oaks. He was also recently he was in Stranger Things. He played Winona Ryder's uh, love interest. I suppose if you call it that, I think in the third third series. Did he? Yep. Uh, 
And then we've got the Kaminsky method, which you and I watched with Michael Douglas. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's a lot balder in that. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. That's him. He's um, Michael Douglas's character's daughter. Yes. Yeah, boyfriend yeah. that she's yeah. going to marry. That's right. And, but he's a lot older. He's like That's right. about 10 years younger than a dad. <laughs> <coughs> anyway, that's the end of roll call. Let's let's get to it. Let's get to it. We might have to shorten this bit because we have got a bit of trivia and the, the trivia is good. Well, I think everybody knows the story to Beverly Hills Cop, don't they? Let's just whiz through that. <laughs> let's whiz through it. Right, okay. Well, how about we start with the scores are the 83% and 82%. Mm. Critic scores to viewer scores on Rotten Tomatoes. That shows you we're about in the same ballpark on this. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack, legendary. You have, good Lord, the heat is on. You have uh, Danny Elfman, of course. But you also got Patty LaBelle. You've got the Pointer Sisters. You've got Glenn Fry. You've got Harold Faltermeyer with the, again, iconic Axel F. You could play that anywhere and everyone would go, oh, it's Beverly Scott. Mm. Right? So it, it's one of those things. Um, it made £316 million worldwide at the time, uh, adjusted for box office. That's just over, just for today's figures, that's just over $650 million. Ooh, I, bet the, I, bet, I bet the film companies would love a film like that now. Oh, absolutely. And I bet they'd love 67 million people to go and see a film just in the US alone. That's amazing. Consider, I mean, I don't know the population. I know the population has, has increased a lot. So, you know, I'm not sure you're in everyone watching the final episode of MASH. Well, I think that was different because it was a, I think that was, that was in the hundreds. I can't remember. And I should know how many people watched the last episode of MASH. 67 million. 67 million How many million people, people are in the UK? 67. <laughs> That's 67 million. Yeah. We all went to see it. We all just put on American accents and went, howdy, partner. And uh, No, but that is just phenomenal there you numbers. go it is it's like it's like um um sort of record vinyl sales isn't it back mm. in the 80s well but you've got the soundtrack winning the grammy in 86 and the soundtrack Wowzers. is one of those things where everyone goes i mean we've got a friend um, a very musically illiterate friend i may add who thinks that they, when when we go around the table or we used to when i talked to him um uh, said my favourite film, uh, my favourite album of all time was the Top Gun soundtrack. <laughs> to which oh, every... That's rich. And yeah, it is rich, yeah. <laughs> now, you can be snobbish and say, where's Pet Sounds on that list? Where's, you know, Pablo Honey or anything like that? Any any number of good, good, good uh, uh, answers to that. But do you know what? The guy just liked Top Gun. Mm. And he liked the, the songs that are on it. And they're pretty good. It's got Kenny Loggins on it. You know, fine. Take my breath away. Each, fine, each of their own. This soundtrack is is brilliant from start to finish. It's brilliant, and it tells the story of the, the film. Love it. Anyway, now that we're talking about soundtracks, let's get to the film. Let's talk about it. Talk about it a little bit, and then we'll get to the 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 the, the, the trivia, which I had to condense again from tens of pages <laughs> down to two and a half. Right, but they're all good. They're really really good. Um, we kick off in Detroit with Glenn Fry mm-hmm. and the Heat is on. Yeah, what what, an, what a song to open a film. It's, yeah, it's just you know, yes, all right, okay. The place looks like a hellhole. It doesn't look particularly nice, but everyone a lot looks of like poverty, a, like, isn't there? A lot of poverty, and I, you know, I'm sure somebody um, would tell us it's it's maybe 
not not getting any better at the moment. I don't know what it's like. Eddie Murphy undercover. We start with that great scene with the cigarette deal where his undercover goes wrong. Mm. Did you like the chase scene where the the, the lorry just basically goes into everything? Very yeah, blues, I thought, very blues God, that, that must be very expensive. Mm. <laughs> and I wonder how many trucks and cars they had to trash in order to get all of that. Yes. Yes. Um, again, if it was like one of these, if, if our podcast was called Rusted Junk, the meticulous right down to the letter thing and every podcast for seven hours, we might have actually, <laughs> might have actually got that for you and said how, how it's done. Um, but you go from the heat is on to neutron dance. And if you played Neutron Dance, people would go. I think that a lot of people would go, "Oh, it's the scene at the start of Beverly Hills Cop. It's that one again." Because you make you you put some thought into it, um, mm. and you make a good. Uh, um, but I don't know where all the police cars came out of nowhere. By the way, they all just appeared. Right. What is it? Right about American cop cars in the eighties that they, they seem to basically all chase after the same thing. They're all in a line. And then one of them has to mount the pavement or the sidewalk, uh, as it's commonly known, mount the pavement and then crash into something. And then all the others crash, it, crash into each other. What is that about? Did that actually happen? Two the, cop cars in real life in the 80s. Because the Blues Brothers made that Was it just movie kind of? It's just a movie thing. Stereotypical. They're not going to go into each other like chases. that, are they? No. Well, you don't know. I don't know. Was that the thing? Was that? <laughs> it's not a chase unless you've had a crash with some cop cars. I don't know. I, I, know, I, know, I know I've mentioned it, but again, um, I can't remember the exact amount of police cars that they wrecked in Blues Brothers, but it's over 86. Just phenomenal, isn't it? And it's just brilliant. I mean, you can tell that when even when they're, you're looking at it, that, that they're all shells with just basically an engine. That's it. Because there's nothing, and all probably all going to be write-offs that they were just done up a bit and given a bit of paint. Um, but it goes wrong. Um, he turtles to the cars. He gets back to the police station, and he gets well. There's facts, isn't there? Like cigarettes, just like yeah, getting thrown strikes. out in boxes in yeah, single yeah. packets. And I just thought, wow. Do you think they're actually cigarettes in there? In the boxes. Hmm. Again, we're not doing. The meticulous podcast. Sorry, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> yes, we talked to us. In fact, we're just going to invite a set designer from the time on it as well. Well, we tried if you to, get to know to... which brands they were. They were Lucky Strike and mm. Pat. There were two boxes of Lucky Strike that were real, but we couldn't get any more, so we we made some up. Kept using them. <laughs> I was painting. I was painting throughout the night. Um, anyway, yeah, right. <laughs> we, we've got to. I mean, you're the one that says we don't talk about film. <coughs> we haven't even made it out of the car chase, but we're back at the department. Paul Reiser is his partner. Or his buddy. Um, I don't think he has a partner as such. No. Um, the chief, the chief's entrance into the when in, into the changing rooms. Is that effing Foley in here? And it's just it's wonderful. He he is brilliant. Um he's spoiler alert, it's not as good in the second one, but he's still in the second one and he still has his moments. Um he basically said, you know, if you if you mess up again. Then <laughs> he says it's heavily censoring this, so I don't have to tick that this podcast contains explicit material. Um, but yeah, basically he says, don't do this again. You nicked you nicked the evidence from another case to, to use against this one. Um 
Anyway, he gets home to his apartment. His door's unlocked. He leaves his car unlocked outside. I mean... It's a bit of a banger, isn't it? It is. It's a Chevy Nova, I believe. Um, I, heard on a, I heard on another podcast that we're covering this. Uh, but his door's open. He goes in there, pulls a the gun. His best friend, Mikey, has said, you need to get a better lock for that door, really. Uh, and he's in town. And he's going to go out for a beer. Uh, while he's out for a beer, he talks about meeting Jenny, uh, who they used to go to school with. Uh, Jenny's moved to Beverly Hills. She runs an art gallery. Um, and he produces, and this is the weird bit of the film, I think. He produces all these bearer bonds. German. Uh, German bearer bonds. Deutschmark. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Thing of the past, that, isn't it? But it's not It's not discussed. Mm. I mean, now, now any cop would go, Mikey. Where have you got them from? Mikey, the chickens is going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mikey is throwing his cash around. He bets $100, $100 on a pool shot that the guy doesn't take the pool shot, and he makes it. So, obviously, Mikey's living the high life because he's stolen from somebody who we will find out to be Victor Maitland, who's in Beverly Hills. Comes back. Uh, Axel is uh, beaten around, knocked out. Uh, and his best friend, Mikey, is killed by the guy out of Breaking Bad. Um, I like the scene. I like the scene. I like the way that the guy, the hitman, is friendly and almost too friendly and then just shoots him. Um, I think he plays good. I think he plays a, a good part for the first half of the film. Mm. The last half of the film, it's neither here nor there. I must have blinked when Axel got uh, hit over the head and got knocked to the floor. Yeah. Because I was thinking... I thought he's just gone into his flat. Where, yeah. where, where is he? What's he? What's he doing? Well, he turned. They were talking at the flat door, and yeah. he turned around and he got hit. Yeah, I missed that completely because yeah. I was thinking, "Where's he gone?" <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, his friend's shot. The police chief comes out and says, "I'm really sorry." Um, Axel is basically. Uh, because you, you don't get to investigate this because you've got some relationship here because your recent escapades, all the stuff he's done mm. doesn't allow him to get on the case. He thinks, right, I've got a thread. Let's go Let's go to Beverly Hills. I'll take a vacation. He takes a vacation. Now, here's, prob- here, here's, here's an issue. He drove from Detroit to Los Angeles in that car. I don't think that car would make it out to Detroit, if I'm completely honest. How far is Detroit to LA? Uh, it's like I'm not it's on a map. I think it's from like John O. You can go to Google Maps. I'm I'm, I'm doing saying it. it's John O'Groats to Land's Jow End. Far. And, and oh, back. Jow. Jow far. Oh, Jow Far. Obviously, Far from. Oh, here we go. You can play at home if you want. Let's see if you can Google it quicker. Than... To LA to Love. Yeah. How long is it? Take you 34 hours. Right, okay. In a car. And how far is it? In miles? 2,281.1 miles. That car, eh? That's not going to happen, is it? No, it's not going to happen. You're right. You'd fly, wouldn't you? (laughs) You would. In the 80s. You'd fly. Everyone flew everywhere. Everyone flew, exactly. People were, they probably wasn't using it like the taxi service that, that, you know, they ended up becoming. But yeah, people flew at that time. Um, the way the film's shot, Detroit is dour, depressed. Beverly Hills 
He's driving down Rodeo Drive and Beverly Hills. He's seen all the iconic signs. He's seen the Beverly Hills Hotel. He's seen all the shops. He's seen the women, you know, the tall women with the long legs walking the dogs. You know, he's 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 loving this. But it's sunny. It's supposed to tell you Beverly Hills is a better place, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's the contrast, isn't it? When the film it opens, is. you're seeing all the poverty, all the, the non-invested and, you know, I, I bet Detroit at one time was was lovely. Well, it was. It was Motor City. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of investment, you know, and, and uh, prosperous areas. And now, well, not now, but at the start of the film, it's just awful. Really, You've got really Eminem bad. growing, I assume, based on his age, Eminem growing up around this time. Yeah. And then in, you've got in this time. contrasting that with the ultimate wealth. So you've got all the designer, top-end designer shops yeah. um, in Beverly Hills and stuff. And then, yeah, I, 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 I made a note of that because I just thought, ah, that's the yeah. you know, different life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like worlds apart, but it isn't. It's 2,281 miles. It's a long way. Anyway, he pulls the said car up uh, against the, the hotel. Uh, that he did go to the very nice palatial hotel. It's the Palm. The Palm. Um, and he goes to the receptionist and said, "I'm here from Rolling Stone uh, to check in." And he said, "There's no Axel Foley here." Oh, sorry. Could you say Rolling Stones Axel Foley? There's nobody here. Uh, he launches into a rant. Um, he uses the N word. Of course, we're not going to use it here. But at the same time, it's a funny scene. I'm not going to take it away from it. The fact that he uses that is a time and the place. You know, rap artists are. St- Still using it today. It's whatever. But it's a funny scene and it just shows you we're starting to see the comedic thing of Axel, you know, of Eddie Murphy. Sorry, I was about to say mm. Axel Foley. <laughs> the receptionist goes, Oh, you know, he's created a scene. Um, here, have one of the suites. One of the suites I hear from uh, the quoted room, the, the quoted rate for the hotel room is $235. Now that's six hundred and thirty dollars a night. Is it? Yeah. Did you look it up? I did. That's still cheap though for a luxury. It is for that. I mean, it's not luxury. It's not a Beverly Hills hotel. It's about two grand a night. <coughs> no, um, but it's the, it's the Palm Hotel. It can't be shabby, surely. Mm. Anyway, gets to the car. He goes to the art gallery where Jenny's working, and we meet Serge. <laughs> Get the it's out of here. <laughs> that's serious. Um, yeah, he's just, um, would you like cappuccino? I make it myself with a nice, like, lemon twist. I mean, I can't say his accent. I can't do it for the life of me, but <laughs> as you can see. But Serge, Serge is in the film two minutes. Like Damon Wayans, makes an impression. Mm. Because he makes an impression, I say, you deserve everything you get. You deserve the good things that happen to both mm-hmm. of them. Um, so definitely. And people do remember it. Um uh, I, I haven't watched it yet. There's a YouTube video where two years, it's like two years ago, somebody asked him, how did you get the part of it? And he st- he goes into depth on how he got the part and what happened on set. And I thought, I need to watch that before, but I, ne- I didn't get to it. Oh, um, finds Jenny, speaks to Jenny, tells him that Mikey's dead, tells her that Mikey's dead, um, says that he was working for security um, at the art gallery. Uh, so he was working for Victor Maitland, yeah. Um, so as is Jenny, because Victor Maitland owns the art gallery. So he goes to Victor Maitland's office. Then we see Stephen Burkhoff for the first time. We also see the mm-hmm. hitman. He's sitting sitting down there. So we know that these kids, you know, the film isn't going to make you guess 
this is the guy that did it. And this is the guy that ordered the hit. Um, what do we do? What do you think of Stephen Burkhoff as a villain? Do you like him? Maitland? Hmm. I thought it was something lacking. Do you think so? I think he makes a great villain. No. I don't think you have the slightest idea who I, you're I, messing I felt with. he was bored. Oh, well, uh, yeah, you could, oh, I could see that. I could see how you think, yeah. Uh, and you you might be right, because it might be that I'm just doing this for the money, like Michael Caine in Jaws of Revenge, who, uh, who, say, who also for? said, what do you think of Jaws of Revenge? I said, I love the film. It paid for my second house. Um, I always think that's a great line by Michael Caine. Fair play to him. Um, but uh, he starts asking questions, too, uncomfortable questions, and uh, Victor Maitland's goons chuck him Iconic. Again, an iconic scene. Chucked out the window. Do the plate glass window. The police come, arrest him. And he said, for what? For criminal damage. <laughs> uh, taken to the uh, Beverly Hills Police Department. We now see Taggart and Rosewood. So John Ashton, uh, sorry, Judge Reinhold and John Ashton. Um, no, sorry, the other way around. Um, but it's different. This is a police station like no other. It's got it's got something called satellite, satellite uh, tracking despite the fact the GPS wasn't invented until 11 years it's, it's, later. It's very high tech, isn't it's it? It's very high tech, and it complete, is. Obviously completely different from the yeah. Detroit Cop uh, HQ. Yeah. Uh, I think they nicked the computers from War Games. I think they actually did. Uh, <laughs> because but the director was kicked off War Games and replaced oh. by John Babin. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but you get a uh, bit of police brutality because uh, Axel says... Taunts, taunts the police officers a little bit um, and Taggart punches him to which Ronnie Cox comes out as the chief, Bogomil, and says, uh, talks to Taggart and then goes, would you like an apology? Would you like to file a charge uh, against this officer for, for hitting you? He's going, mm, what? Yeah. But he says, but this is the this is the this is another little difference. It's what Axel's reply is because he goes, no, where I'm from, cops don't tell on each other. Mm. It's almost like, is it all a bit corrupt in Detroit? <laughs> You know, is it all? Is I, I, look, I'm from a I'm from a culture is you don't you know you don't tell on anyone, um, but yeah, I just thought that that was a telling line. Um, Eddie Murphy's laugh is just one of the one of the things in this. Whether he's doing the uh, 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 laugh or he's doing the ah the cackle and the just the great laugh. Every time You've it just been puts practicing a smile on my that, face. Babe. No, as as you can see, I'm sure you have. Um, but they get to, they, he then says, right, okay, well, you need to watch this because uh, I've spoken to your captain, and your captain says if you're here investigating the Mikey's murder, don't bother coming back. Yeah. Um, they put Rosewood and Taggart to um, uh, basically uh, follow him to the the, the hotel and stake out. Um, he orders room service to their car because <laughs> he needs he needs a bit of the um it's not delivery that's a weird thing to say isn't it when you ring up hi this is room 222 is there any chance you can deliver to the car out on the road i don't know if they would have done that at that time but i suppose why, why it's the, the 80s it's well then we see david wayans he needs something to to use for his ruse um so he needs a couple of bananas and damon wayans is like it's 12.95 for a buffet um and which you get oranges apples bananas and fruit, assorted other assorted fruits, but he said, he said, oh, I just need a couple of bananas. 
and he does the look into to each side. He are thrust bananas into his hand and went, I guess you can have some for free. And then mm-hmm. he walks off, he goes, Oh, thank you. And he looks proud as punch that he's helped, he's <laughs> helped him out. <laughs> um he sticks the bananas into the tailpipe, and I suppose for our American audiences, but into the exhaust. Um and it causes that actually work. Well, it's weird that you say that because Mythbusters tried that out. They do all sorts of things for films or whether or not that certain things would work. If you put three bananas in there, they would just be four straight out. But if you packed enough bananas in there, you could cause it to rupture the pipe. It just ruptures the pipe. And then, yes, it would cut out. So, yeah, you need to pack a lot of fruit up there. You need to be a big fruit, pa- big fruit packer, hey? Um, <laughs> anyway, um, he goes and investigates the warehouse. He finds coffee grounds. He thinks it's to hide drugs. Turns out, spoiler alert, he's correct. But they also see a delivery come. They open it up, and there's these bearer bonds, and he recognises them as the same ones that Mikey had. Um, oh, security alert, though. He goes yeah. to the warehouse, doesn't he? And uh, pretends to be a um, customs officer. He does, yes. Um, and literally, it, it's the classic um, sort of fishing thing. It's urgency and action. So he's threatening. And confidence. Yeah, and confidence. Yeah, but, but he's also threatening them, saying that, you know, if they're not uh, going to comply, then he can basically shut them down. Yeah. Absolutely. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll give you anything that you need, anything you need. <laughs> um, it does not very secure, this holding pen, where no. everything's supposed to come in. It wasn't, wasn't secure it's at all. It's supposed to be a bonded warehouse and secure, but it wasn't at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got a nice little scene. I mean, we've got this, the skill in that scene is he deflects everything. If he's asked something... He's challenged and went, if you've got a right to search this, excuse mm. me, excuse me, bang. And then he's straight in deflection and it mm. works perfectly for him. Um, He'd make a great member of a red team, wouldn't he? Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, we, I work in cybersecurity and it works in audit. Um, but yeah, yeah. Red team is when you're given a challenge, steal this. It's a bit like sneakers. If you want a film reference, it's what Robert Redford does at the start of sneakers. Um, for those that haven't watched it, it's basically, you've got to get it. You you basically infiltrate uh, without getting caught. Yeah, absolutely. And it could Um, be physical, it could be infrastructure, it could be anything. um, We cut back to to Axel getting back and they're still still sticking out the the hotel. But you've got this wonderful wonderful bit where Rosewood's talking to Taggart about the coffee, the amount of coffee he's drinking and red (laughs) red meat. It's health, yeah. And it's lovely. It's a great scene. (laughs) It's just great. It's just, and we'll get to the reason why that works in trivia time, which we will get to shortly. Um, Axel comes and goes, look, gets into the back car, <laughs> gets into the back of the car and goes, look, you've got to watch me. I'm going to a strip club. You might as well come with me. Well, we can't. No, no, no. Well, I'm going, so you can come with me. You might as well drive. So they go to the strip club. Um, it's good. It's a nice scene. You've got Rosewood putting, not really knowing what to do. He's putting one dollars. He's putting dollars into the, into the G strings and stuff. And you're just like, oh, he's love. It's great. I mean, Rosewood is so naive. How did he become a police officer? But I'm glad that he did, because he he plays a really everyone. I, I everybody without a shadow of doubt plays a good character in this. 
But they see he thoughts a robbery in there, which is good. But it's all Axel, and all Axel sees everything and says, Taggart, go Something's cover that go guy. Down. Yeah. Something's going to go down. And he pretends to be drunk. He goes up to one of the robbers, disarms that. They do that. Get back to the thing and Bogomil, get back to the police station. Bogomil's going, can you tell me what happened? And Axel's like, oh, yeah, and spins this yarn about how they, they saw it. I didn't, you know, I didn't see it. They thought it all themselves. These guys are super, super cops. cops. Super yeah. cops. They really <laughs> are super cops. And he's going, all they need was a cape. That's right. All they need was a cape. That's a great one. Um, and this is it. They, and then <laughs> Bogomil goes, no, what really happened? And then they said, No, they fess up. It's like, yeah, what are you well, doing? well, it's a good scene which is replicated, oh. at the, which isn't replicated at the end. So it kind of makes no. the thing, thing uh, good. Um, <clears throat> anyway, they're chucked off the case. Um, the two the two other people who say, You're not going to lose us so easily. You're not going to mess us around. Um, basically, they follow him to Victor Maitland's house. He loses them uh, uh, after a red light uh, and goes to the country club. Mm. Now, I like this scene. I think it's a nice scene because it's, it's Eddie Murphy and it's Eddie Murphy probably ad-libbing. I mean, you know, probably so much of this film, I probably was ad-libbed, I think. But he's kind of like, could he evict to Maitland? Uh, well, sorry, sir, you can't come in. Well, can you give him a message? Yeah. Can you just tell him that Ramon um, has got back the test results? And, even, and, and it's not even trying to make him embarrassed. But the guy doesn't know what to do and says, you probably should tell him yourself. And instead of going, yeah, you're right, I should, I should just go in. He goes, I think that would be best. And then he's escorted in to do nothing else but to go, I know you killed Mikey to Victor Maitland. He throws the hitman, the sidekick, over the table, no problem <laughs> yes, at covered all. covered in trifle and cream and yeah. stuff. And tells Victor Maitland, basically, I'm on to you and I will find you and I will F you up. Um, to which Victor Maitland <laughs> says the, the, the great line, I don't think you have the slightest idea who you're messing with. Oh, love that line. No, it's great. Um, anyway, so, and he says, crawl back to your, crawl, crawl back to underneath your stone before you get squashed. Ah, oh. <laughs> love it. Love it, love it. Um, gets arrested again. Gets arrested again. <laughs> he gets up to the cop station. This time, the chief chief pays a visit, speaks to Bergamill and says, you're to be escorted, Rosewood. Take him to his hotel, get out the hotel and escort him to the airport. He's going. Um, uh, by this time, Victor Maitland visits the art gallery and talks to Jenny. And yeah. says, have you been, have you seen this guy? Have you talked, told him anything? She plays dumb. He knows she's lying. Yeah. He knows that something's going on. Um, Billy's driving in to the airport, but he manages to talk him around <laughs> to go and get Jenny. <laughs> Let them go, in the warehouse. Let them in the warehouse, exactly. Uh, they find the drugs there. Everything's there. Um, they're in a bit of a tight pickle, but Billy, Billy has stayed in the car because he doesn't want to go in. He sees all of this happening, Victor Maitland coming and going, people going in with guns. Uh, Billy goes in, saves the day. <coughs> Billy Billy saves the day and ends up, um, uh, you know, basically um, doing that. At that point, um, he then says, right, Billy has to. Um, oh, no, the girl gets taken and Billy ends up saying Vin Axel. So Victor Maitland's got Jenny. They then say, right, OK, we need to call it in. Uh, we need to 
to go and he goes no 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 let's just go and do it mm. but billy does call it in and because they've got satellite tracking they know that billy is at victor maitland's house so taggart joins them so all three of them are there yay the gang are back they don't get a search warrant and you know axel says she'll be dead in 30 minutes yeah you know and so they go in there nice big shoot up we've got oozies we've got all the things that the, the 80s are, 80s are very famous for Bogomil comes out of his office and goes, where is everyone? Again, and they, they say uh, they're at this address. The satellite tracking, again, comes in very useful, doesn't it? <laughs> um, it said they're at Victor Maitland's house. Um, Billy says the line, uh, I hate machine guns. And that's going to be very pertinent for Beverly Hills Cop 2. All right, don't spoil it. I know, I'm not, I'm just saying. Um, but they're pinned down, him and Taggart, while Axel's going and doing his thing to try and rescue Jenny. They're pinned down, and Billy turns to Taggart and goes, this is just like Butch, Butch and Sundance. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what happened in the end? Well, exactly, yeah. I think the Bolivian, I think we all know that the Bolivian army got the, uh, the the best of them on that one. But then we get Maitland killed, and he's killed because he's holding Jenny, and he basically says you know do you think you can hit her do you think you might hit her and in the end Bogomil comes in and he finds them and he ends up they both end up shooting him and I thought that yeah. was a nice touch mm. it was a nice touch that it wasn't the others it yeah. was him that did that again you you Maitland's killed um the chief comes in right at the end and the and Bogomil the chief the chief tells this most unlikely story of what happened but it fits but it, it does fit, exactly. And he goes, you expect me to believe that? He goes, is that, is that what happened? And then at that point, you expect John Ashton to go, well, no, what really happened was this. He goes, yeah, that's pretty much how the chief says it. At that point, you have family. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about lethal weapon, at that point, these people respect him so much that they're willing to, to, to assist him you know, in this, in this particular case, probably to put the life on the line mm. for him and the fact that he's concerned about his friend. That's family. That's 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 what it should be, you know, that it should be about. Again, echoes of lethal weapon. But um, technically, it's a little bit of corruption, though, isn't it? Because it's not how things actually happened. And they no. did go in without a warrant, et cetera, et cetera. So they didn't. And I, I expect the, the auditor, the auditor's heckles went up. No, I just thought oh, okay. that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Say that in your next audit. Yes, could you tell me how you how you protected this and? Uh, oh, we didn't. What, the physical oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Did you wear good uniforms? Yeah, hold on. Nice. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Have you got each other's backs? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Axel's checking out. He's got his. Uh, he's been shot. He was shot in the uh, assault on the house, um, and. Oh, Rosewood, hang on, at the house, Rosewood gets to shout that they're all under arrest because I think that's really what he wanted to do, wasn't it? Yes, but after <laughs> everyone's been arrested. It's yeah. kind of like everyone's been been there. Um, but then you've got Axel at the hotel. Um, how was he going to pay his bill? Was he ready to go and add something else? Oh, he would have got out of that. Uh, exactly. He's very wily. He's very wily. He'd but we don't get to see what he would have done. Because Taggart and Rose would come in um, uh, to basically say, uh, Beverly the, the Hills Police are, Department right. will pick up that bill. And he says, Good, can I have another couple of robes? And he gives them <laughs> gives him robes. And they go, Well, don't you need one? He says, I've got three in my bag. 
Um, and that's it. And they see him off. And in the end, he goes, should we go for a drink? And they're all like, yeah, I could use a beer. I'm on duty, but yeah, I could use a beer. And it's almost like we've come into this lifestyle. We might mm-hmm. be in Beverly Hills, but we're, we're, we're happy with this relationship. And then he does his you know, famous OK sign and he's that's it. He's mm-hmm. off. And I just think, yeah, the more that I talk about it, the more I think, yeah, I'm right with nine. I think it's good. But for the for our lovely listeners, we're probably actually pretty good because I think we started this an hour ago. Um, uh, I think we're all right. Roughly. Yeah, we're okay. We're okay. Not too I mean, bad. It's not going to be too long, but don't worry. But they all need to be in here. So let's move to trivia time because I think right. trivia time is complete because we'll pick some of the other threads up as well, I'm sure. Should have got tri- a drink. Um, you can. I can start off with trivia time if you want, if you want to go and get a drink. You need some water <laughs> right. or something. I'll, I'll, no? see, I'll see if I can cope. Okay. Right. Anyway, here's trivia time. Trivia time. Well, here we go. And I should have remembered. Eddie Murphy, John Ashton and Judge Reinhold improvised most of their comic lines. Did they? I should have known because I did. I compiled this myself, but I put it, I put it together. Literally hundreds of takes were ruined by cast members, actors and director laughing during shooting. During the Super Cops monologue, Ashton is seen pinching his face hard and looking down in apparent frustration. He's actually laughing. Reinhold put his hand in his pocket and pinched his thigh really hard to prevent himself from laughing because the Super Cops thing was just it's just improvised. Oh, God. And I think, you know, if you're there, I mean, we talk about comedic geniuses, we talk about Robin Williams, talk about my, my mm. favourite, probably not yours, Steve Martin. We talk about people that can just make things up and make make you laugh. I mean, you know, th- this is the kind of thing that, that Daddy Murphy does. If you're in the presence of that, you're seeing it for the first time. And, yeah, you're going to have to find a way to keep professional. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd pinch my thigh. Yeah, I have to pinch something else. Um, anyway. To, to cast the roles of Rosewood and Taggart, the director paired up various finalists and asked them to do some improv to get a feel for their chemistry. Uh-huh. He paired up Judge Reinhold and John Ashton oh. and gave them the following direction. You are a middle-aged couple. You've been married for years. That's it. You're having a conversation on an average evening. Reinhold immediately picked up a nearby magazine started reading it, and the two improvised the five red pounds of meat in his bowels bit, almost exactly as it eventually appeared in the movie. So just just wow. invented it on the spot, and you're like, <clears throat> I love that. Um, this is the first of seven Eddie Murphy films in a row to open at number one in the box office. Wowzers. We are talking big, big cash here, big star, which is why I think you have to say it's iconic. Bill Murray on his own, couldn't open up that sort of thing. Robin Williams probably could. Tom Cruise probably did, maybe after Top Gun, I would say, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. around that sort of time. So Eddie Murphy is in a, um, you know, is an eclectic club, I think, in that sense. Um, it was the highest grossing R-rated film in the US until The Matrix Reloaded in 2003, 19 oh. years later. If inflation takes into account, it would be the third highest grossing R-rated film after The Exorcist, and The Godfather. Blimey. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the movie was written initially uh, for Sylvester Stallone. To play what? Uh, with uh, To play Axel Foley. 
Oh, no. Well, I know. This is, even when I was talking to Joe today, you went, we do realise Sylvester Stallone was the original. And I went, I know, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, with the character... Uh, uh, with the character of Michael Tandino, wasn't his friend. Mikey was his brother, and Jenny was his love interest. So imagine how that, that would have worked out. Really weird, different film. Now, when that I listen been, to, yeah, when I listen to the have podcast, been comedic, would it? No, but when I listen to the podcast, they were talking about Beverly Hills Cop. They they mentioned that as well, and then they went, "Well, Stallone went on to make Cobra, um, which is crime is a disease, and I'm the cure." I don't remember many laughs in that. I really don't. Um, so I, I, they, let's just go with Stallone's, you know, Stallone is great, would never have worked in this film at all. No. Um, after Martin Brest, I know you're going to get, you're going to have a laugh again. Is that laugh because I say Brest, even though it's B-E-R-E-S-T, not the other one. But anyway, chuckle away, sweetheart. Um, after Martin Brest was fired from War Games in 83, which was only his second directing job, the industry thought he was damaged goods. So Simpson and Bruckheimer, the legends of the 80s, disagreed, and the two Paramount executives continually called him and asked him to direct the film. He kept declining. He kept saying, no, I'm not going to make it, and eventually took his phone off the hook. Simpson took the hint, but Bruckheimer kept trying. Finally, he convinced him to flip a coin to make the decision. And you just start thinking, and that's what it came to. Right, just flip a coin then. I'm not going to take no for an answer, but if you want out, flip the coin. And it turned out to be heads. And he made this film. I that's great. And don't forget what he, you know, we talk about sentimental women, we talk about things like this. You wouldn't have, you maybe wouldn't have had those opportunities. Yeah. You would have been damaged goods forever. And then you end up being a plumber or something rather than, you know, getting hey, an, an, an being a plumber. No, absolutely not. But it's certainly not film director. So I was trying to think of something, something different. Um, uh, Beverly Hills did not allow filming in the streets after 10.30 p.m. So the filmmakers moved the whole production to Pasadena in California. Yep. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, Axel Foley, as we said, was going to be played by Sylvester Stallone or Mickey Rourke. No, wouldn't have worked either. Stallone left the project and used some of the script ideas to make Cobra. Uh, Mickey Rourke left to do the Pope of Greenwich Village. Uh, when ah, we say Now, that was a film I was looking at. Yes, absolutely. Um, and watching. we might do when it comes to uh, season 10, the spirit of the show, forgotten 80s films, you know, which is essentially what we are. But I'm, you know, Beverly Hills Cop isn't forgotten or, or anything. But some of the other people that were in line, I'm just going to pick out some. I'm going to pick out some that, that I think might have worked. Billy Crystal. Mm. Don't forget Running Scared two years later. Uh, okay. Maybe. Robert De Niro. It would have been a different film. It wouldn't have been. A it would have been this film. film. Uh, Mel Gibson. It would have been another lethal weapon without the comedy duo. Richard Pryor. Oh. Uh, no. I, I love Richard Pryor, but it wouldn't I have do. worked in this he film. Would, I can't see him as being a cop. Uh, one more. Um, I, I don't believe this. But Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Right, so let's say. But Eddie Murphy backed out of doing Ghostbusters to do this film. Now, I love that because Winston Zedmore, which is what Ernie Hudson... He didn't have a very playing, big part, did he? No, he didn't. 
But if Eddie, can you imagine if Eddie Murphy was in Ghostbusters? Can we play that game for a little bit? It, because it, I don't that's... think it would have worked because the other three, was it three? One, two. Would he have been the funniest out of the four? Yeah. Yeah. Which means he would have eclipsed the, the three. Yeah. And it wouldn't have worked. I mean, Harold Ramis, as Egon Spangler, is funny because he's straight. Yeah. That's what makes him funny. He's, he's the nerd, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Dan Aykroyd's the paranoid, you know, the paranoid one with the the, the occult. Mm. And Bill Murray is the... Oh, Bill I just, Murray. I just want. I just want a paycheck. I just want. He you know, just, just plays want Bill Murray. Out. Yeah. Uh, to see don't get to that. I just look. You know, I, as I, as I said on the podcast I was on at the weekend, Bill Murray will always be in my mind judged as John Winger in Stripes, and I judge okay. all of his films from that. So it's just Bill Murray. Go back and listen to Stripes. Um, Martin Brest mentions to say that I Joe. I'm just going to call him the director because he's going to keep chuckling like a naughty school kid. Uh, mentions it was supposed to be a potato and not banana in the exhaust. Um, and the scene sneak Axel sneaking into the kitchen to, to get a potato to steal potato as intended due to the budget and scheduling, the scene couldn't be shot. Murphy had to grab something that was easily accessible in a location that was already lit and ready to be shot. And it was Eddie Murphy's idea to get Damon Wayans in Damon Wayans in as the guy working the buffet. Oh. So he's credited in the film as the banana man. He is. He is. Um, uh, halfway through, the film was released on VHS close to the time as the introduction of the consumer-friendly Casio PT-80 handheld micro-keyboard. What marketing geniuses are this that the two combine? Because, of course, it was an enormous hit with kids. Thanks to video rentals, huge number of parents rented the videos and the kids were able to see it. Of course they were. That's how I watched it in 1985 because it was on video. I didn't get to the cinema to see this because we couldn't get anyone to open the door for us. So we couldn't get in to see it. But uh, shortly after a huge number of kids literally around the planet were using the Casios to punch out because everyone wanted to play Axel F. It became a common complaint among school teachers about the incessant playing of the theme of the kids during recess because they're all playing it. That's amazing. Um, The film holds a record for selling, uh, on that note, the film holds a record for selling the most rented title on the Betamax format. Betamax. Betamax. For those who are, I don't know, what, under 40? Is that about right? Under 35? Under 35. There were three formats in this country and two in the States. I don't think the States had V2000. V2000, VHS and Betamax. And everyone liked the fact that Betamax was smaller so that they could make the boxes smaller and they could fit more more videos in there. Well, Betamax so, was better quality. No, V2000 was the best quality, but it never caught on. It, never there, there, were, there were a few titles there, but yeah. Um, no, I'm sure Betamax was better than VHS. No, I think VHS was clear. VHS was, Betamax was third, VHS and V2000 was top. I, I, you know. Um, but it didn't win. Like like HD DVD versus Blu-ray, it didn't win. And VHS ended up being the one that, that oh, everyone what took. Oh, those big discs as well that you laser discs. Laser discs. Mm. Oh, okay. I nearly uh, I in nineteen ninety nine, just before I got my DVD player, I debated whether or not to buy a laser disc player just so I could get jewels on laser disc, 
you know how much it would have cost me in 1999? I don't whole, know, but I would lot. imagine now Jaws on that, Laserdisc would be quite rare. I can imagine that I would have made my money back considerably. But yeah, it would have cost me just over 550 quid. Oh, then? Or now? Then, then. <gasps> Equivalent or actually... No, I mean, I had to buy the player. That's what I'm saying. It's the player was the main cost. Jaws itself was something like 60 quid. Still a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, but don't forget when you went back to when you went to a video shop in the eighties and said, "Can I buy the video?" They had stickers on them that were seventy nine ninety nine. That's how much VHS cost in the eighties for you to buy the film. That's why yeah, everyone that's, rented that's it. That's when it was first released. Though. Yes, absolutely. But there was a hefty price tag to it, as it was for Laserdisc. I'm, mm. I'm not sure they make them anymore. But anyway. Uh, after then Paramount chair Frank Mancuso Jr. saw the opening sequence when the movie was screened for him and the rest of the top executives, he told Simpson and Bruckheimer, this movie will be bigger than Ghostbusters. Let's commit to working on a sequel right away. Start working on the sequel. It just before it, before it even got... Thing. No, it wasn't bigger than Ghostbusters, but it was... The, the two, okay, money-wise, no. They're two different films. In... in, in Cop films of the 80s. I know you're going to say Lethal Weapon's better, but it's in the top three, and people can start, you know, talking talking away. You've got Die Hard, Beverly Hills Cop, and Lethal Weapon. I'm mean, just mm. off, off my bat. There's the top three. Go and duke it out amongst yourselves. For me, <coughs> it's. Do you know what? I mean, I've given Lethal Weapon a nine, I've given this a nine. I would put this at number three. I put Die Hard at one, I put Lethal Weapon at two and three. But there's a way, there's a cigarette packet, you know, cigarette paper between them if you're you're allowed to say that now millimeter between them or something like that um anyway gilbert hill who played inspector todd the head of homicide in detroit so axel Foley's boss he met him while visiting detroit to do research and scout locations for the film he almost seemed to me like he could be eddie's father he said Uh, in fact the, the idea of axel foley holding a gun in the back of his jeans with no holster was inspired by the way he carried his service revolver because he was a police officer. Did I, did I not mention that at the start? No. All right, okay. At the time, he recorded the commentary, which we uh, can get. Um, he was running for the mayor of Detroit. There you go. Uh, he lost in 2001 uh, to Kwame Kilpatrick. Anyway, uh, the last few things. The scene at the bar between Eddie Murphy and Mikey brought out a mixed reaction from preview audiences. Are you ready for a bit of, mm, we didn't like that in the 80s? Some audiences laughed when the two characters expressed love for one another. Um, the studio wanted the director to cut the scene out, but he resisted. Instead of cutting it out, the editors trimmed it in a way da- trimmed it way down, even cutting a few frames holding on Mikey after he says, I love you. And even when he says it, he genuinely means it. Yeah. You know, the, you, you you get what an interaction that's less than five minutes. I didn't get any sort of um homosexual no vibes from it at all. But you, it, you it, know. Was, it was heartfelt and you know it sounded like you know he didn't dob him in the first time because he just couldn't yeah. do that to his mate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, last bit. The director wanted a shot of Eddie Murphy walking down a Beverly Hill street. However, they could never work it into the schedule. The shot of Axel walking down the street, passing the two guys dressed in their outfits, like Michael Jackson. Yeah, it was like uh, one had the red one. One had the red one, 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 had, the one had the blue one. Black one. Well, 
Well, um, they they basically it was shot during a lunch break in a particularly crummy part of Los Angeles. Um, expensive cars and greenery were added in to make it appear to be Beverly Hills. Uh... And when he did his stand up, he wore a red leather outfit. And when he did in Delirious, and when he did Raw in the late eighties, he wore a blue leather outfit. <laughs> Very nice. Love that. Um, uh, for those uh, trivia fans like me, the gated entrance to Victor Maitland's house was mm-hmm. also used in Blind Date, the Bruce Willis film before he did Die Hard. Oh, okay. Um, Went to cinema with Louise to watch that. Okay. Um, and the director himself appears in the film. He's basically the guy who checks Axel out of the hotel in the final <laughs> scene. There you go. Um, so the, the last bits, because I do, I do like this, and I, you're going to love this, and you're going to say, you know, we really wrap up, but listen to this. In one of the drafts written for Sylvester Stallone, Rosewood was called Sidons, and he was killed off halfway through the script during one of the action scenes, but it was deemed too expensive for Paramount to produce. After the director cast uh, Reinhold and Ashton, he decided to keep Rosewood alive. So he made loads of script changes wow. in order to do it because this was written for Stallone. And so, you know, get, having one of the cops killed is probably part of the course of one of his films. But the mansion used in the final shootout is the same mansion seen in the final shootout of which film that we've covered in season four? This this season? No, season four, last one. Oh. Oh, no, three. That was actually action. Action season. Uh. It's the same one between... John Matrix and the El Presidente in Commando. No it's way. The same mansion. <laughs> I know. If you think it looked correct, yeah. Coincidentally, both Axel Foley and John Matrix were trying to rescue someone called Jenny in that mansion <laughs> in their respective films, which I, I love that one. Um, and there you go. That was it. I just thought oh, you'd like the mansion. Lovely. Yeah, like that. That was Beverly Hills Cop. I. Can we watch number two, like, tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Maybe? Yeah, maybe. I think so. Yeah, come on. Let's do it. All right. Okay. And we don't know what the next film is. It could be Robocop. It could be um, It could be a, a break. Something um, else. Dominic's coming to do Naked Gun at some point. Joe wants to do another one. It might be Joe Dom. It might be, it might be four of us. Can you imagine <gasps> that? Can you imagine the overload on that? Um, I think some of the other members of the uh, WDWNT podcast want to come on as well. So who knows? Mm-hmm. It's going to be it's going to be packed. We, we're just giving you more content, and I, we hope you like this one. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you lovely people, you can get us um, Instagram Rusted uh, J Pod and Instagram Rusted J Pod on Facebook. Um, you could train a pigeon to give us a, a, a an address. We'll look after it here. We'll feed it before we send it back, um, should you want to. Um, however you'd like to get in contact, we'd love to hear from you. We thought about, do you know what I thought about putting polls on there for what the next film should be and let the let the um, listeners stroke viewers decide? Did you say decide? polls? Polls. Polls. Which film do you want to see next? Robocop, Naked Gun? Oh, or... okay. 
you know, oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not very keen on polls. They do it on LinkedIn. Everybody's fed up with polls on LinkedIn. Well, okay. I was only suggesting. Well, okay. I well, don't think it's going to work. Let's just make the choice. We need another. We need a robber film. We've had three cop I know. films in Do you know what? I looked for heist films for the 80s. Yeah. And that uh, Pope of Greenwich, Greenwich Village, Village was the one that came up in there that looked oh, decent-ish. It's in the schools on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, but you know there there isn't ten. a lot of robbers, heist type movies apart from um, what have we done already? Um, Fish called Wanda that came up. True. Oh well, I tell you what. Do you know what? Let's leave it up to the listeners, stroke viewers. However, you want to leave us a, a message. Do you want something obscure, which we're probably going to rip the heck out of, like the Pope of Greenwich Village? But a lot of people might not have seen it. That's the issue. And can they get hold of it? Well, yeah, but it didn't stop us with better off dead. You know, True. a sure thing. And we still have lots of Let's, lots let's, of uh, let's have a, an offline convo. Loads of people are seeing the naked gun and everyone wants to see <laughs> Lieutenant Frank Drebin. Um, not me. Not you. Um, cool. Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. I loved this one. I love I love this film. I love it's nice to have us back together. I love everybody guest guest appearing on the podcast, but we're going to try and do it so that we're facing each other like we did before. We don't know if we can get the video to work because I have to be upstairs while we record. Man, Mandy's downstairs. Um, it's I I love the interaction that we had when we were recording it without video. Yeah. So we're going to try and see if we can make it work. This is after if I took this picture away behind me. Um, I've just spent all of this on lighting and I haven't got it ready or the shelves up or anything yet. And just as I, just as I get all that sorted, I then move downstairs. But we do you don't know have what? to. No, I don't have to, but let's, it's nicer. I think this, this has proved that we can do it, but it's nicer when we, we look at each other as well. Aww. I never, I never tire of looking in your eyes, sweetheart. I love you. Anyway, love you too. Um, right. Enough mush. Um, uh, we will see you on the next podcast. So I'm going to say cheerio. And uh, I'll give you a toodle pip. Wow. There you go. <laughs>